Hello, everybody. Rick Gorman back here for another youth-centered podcast. Um, this one we're doing remotely, and actually due to the biggest regulations now from the, from the governor and from our town manager, we're uh, working from home. So we're going to try to pull this podcast off in my house. Uh, hopefully the sound won't be uh, too tough. Obviously, we have our podcast studio at the Youth Center and much better, but we're going to try to make this work. So we're going to do an interesting podcast today, and I want to explain how this came about. Um, last week, we did a podcast called the YC Mailbag. By the way, thanks for the great response we got on that. Uh, and we asked the community um, to provide questions, what they had about the Youth Center or different things in town. And uh, we got about 70 questions from folks. And then 25 of the 70 had sent it around Summer League Basketball. So we decided to do a separate podcast on uh, Summer League in general, uh, preferably during the period before we had the Youth Center. So entitling this Summer League, the Golden Years, uh, from 1991 uh, to 2010. Um, for our listeners, our Summer League is continuing to go wonderful as it has, uh, affectionately known as the Joe Wall Summer League. After Joe passed away in the late 90s, we changed all of our Summer Leagues uh, to the Joe Walsh League. And we presently have leagues in the 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. Uh, we don't have the high school league anymore, um, and we'll talk a little bit about why and some of the opportunities the kids have now were very different than the opportunities or the lack of opportunities they had back in the day. So um, we're going to get into this. Um, I, I apologize. It took a little bit longer to get up and running. I, I was being hammered on Twitter by some of the former players and people involved. Uh, but I was trying to put this together and, and to try to take the input um, of all the people who sent me emails, texts. Um, we had about five people that sent us an incredible amount of information of their memories of it. And one of the biggest ones was um, Brooks' head coach um, in Brooks School Administrator, John McVeigh, who was one of our first employees at the Youth Center during the summer. Uh, he wrote me a three-page uh, email with some really good stuff that we're going to get to, as, as well as a number of other people. So again, I apologize that it didn't get up earlier, but we're ready to go. So first of all, when we talk about uh, Summer League, you have to go back to uh, when I first started here in 1988, um, pretty much getting some programs off the ground. And then I, I meet a guy, a local legend by the name of Peter Breen. Peter Breen, Bach Mulch, um, who comes up to me and says, Hey, Gorman, Peter Breen, let's start a basketball league here for adults. And um, so in 1989, we actually started a, a summer league uh, two nights a week at the Drummond Playground um, for six teams, six North Andover adult teams, uh, five adults, and one was the high school varsity team, which was in the league every year. And uh, they didn't win many games, but they actually um, did really well, and I think it was one of the best things for them preparing for the season. Um, and then from there, we had an idea of, you know, let's try to do some summer leagues uh, for the younger kids. And um, uh, my first uh, director of basketball operations was John McVeigh, and we started out doing uh, basically a middle school league where the uh, grades were combined sixth, seventh, and eighth. And we actually ran it at Kittred School Outside Court. For people who don't even know, there's a court up there. It had just been done over with a new hot top, so we actually ran it there. And John was uh, one of the major referees, and he was running, kind of running the, running the league for us. 
Um, and then we obviously played also at Reynolds Playground Court um, and, uh, and then eventually found our home at the present site of the Youth Center Drum and Basketball Court. So um, when that evolved, kids were saying, why didn't we do a high school basketball league? So we, uh, we put it into motion to start a high school basketball league during the summer. It was run on the opposite nights of the adult league. So it was um, uh, Tuesday and Thursday nights, and um, kids were allowed to pretty much put their own teams together. It could be kids from the neighborhood. It could be kids that went to school with each other. Uh, and they came up with creative names, and and uh, and from there we we started off. It was about an eight, and then a ten team, and a twelve team league, um, and it was really good because it fell into the philosophy that uh, John and I were looking to start a basketball summer league that was not controlled by adults. It was not coached by adults. Um, it was pretty much run by kids for kids. Um, you know, a lot of kids talked about the politics of the day at that point in time in basketball, and we wanted to eliminate that and just have this amazing, fun uh, basketball league um, at, at Drummond Park. And due to the success of the Summer League for a few years, those kids then graduated, and they wanted to have another league that was obviously different than the adult league, which was a bunch of older guys at that point. Um, so we started the 18 to 22 league. Uh, pretty much for kids that were college age. So those those are kind of the leagues that started that we're going to kind of focus on. Um, as I said, we started playing at the Kittred School, and then we ended up uh, finally moving to the Drummond Courts, um, which is on the site of obviously the youth center right now. Um, we talked about the purpose. The purpose was to limit parent involvement for the kids. Um, in the middle school, we kind of made fair teams, um, kind of put it together in terms of we didn't want you know, teams to be too one-sided or whatever. And we continue to do that today. And today, obviously, since the youth center has been open, we've been doing um, incredible drafts each year, which are pretty exciting. But back then, we kind of put the teams together ourselves. Um, and then the high school kids, as I said, they kind of made their own team. Uh, for the middle school league, um, uh, it eventually became uh, separate divisions for the 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And the sixth grade uh, was always named after Northeast 10 teams, Division II teams like Merrimack, St. Angeles, and Assumption. Uh, the seventh grade was always named after Division I schools like North Carolina or Duke. And the eighth grade division was always named after the pros. But at the high school, you got to make your own teams and you got to make your, your own names. Um, you know, there were so many incredible names that we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but we used to, the staff was called the, the Dobo, and the Dobo was the director of basketball operations. And as I said, John McVeigh was the first Dobo uh, for a number of years. Um, I think his father thought he was going to, um, or I think he feared that he was always going to stay as a Doble. And uh, I think John loved it as a summer job. But at some point, John obviously went off to college um, and then grad school. Um, so other people had to pick up the slack. And uh, some of those great people that uh, served as Dobos were, uh, besides John McVeigh, was Chris Dexter, who went, went on to play basketball at Harvard, uh, Mike Devon. Um, he was uh, a St. John's prep uh, player who actually worked for me. Then we had uh, the, the, one of the longest dobos was Teddy Ballgame Sharenda, which we'll be talking a lot about him. Uh, present North Andover head coach Paul Tanglis, um, he was a dobo. 
And then in later years, uh, Steve Boudreau, coaching over at Tewksbury, and his brother John Boudreau, uh, and there were a number of other people. But these were the, the main players that kind of directed the program during the summer. Uh, there was an aura of playing outside back then. So remember, and I know kids today just can't relate to it because this summer we'll be celebrating 20 years of uh, the youth center being open. But prior to the youth center, um, you'll hear kids affectionately talk, well, the youth center used to consist of the old red barn and the outside basketball court. And there was just such an incredible aura about playing outside because um, we didn't have anything to compare to. There wasn't any gymnasiums or whatever. So uh, Drummond Park back in the day had uh, uh, wooden backboards, um, you know, regulation height with the rims or whatever. Uh, at one point, it was barely hot-topped with uh, no three-point line or anything. And obviously, when we first started, three-point lines were just coming to an existence. But um, there was an amazing atmosphere there because it was kind of built into the hill. Uh, so people that would come and watch or whatever kind of had like a hillside sort. And then there bunch of the old dinosaurs some of the old residents would uh, lean up against the fence on Johnson Street and that's kind of where we kind of started the whole aura playing outside and it was uh, a thrill because we also had basketball lights we have basketball lights there now back then we had these old telephone poles with um, really bad lights but they they did light up the court um, and uh, most people like to get that, you know, seven or eight o'clock game as opposed to the five or six o'clock game. Um, it had an incredible atmosphere. We actually had, uh, we actually built in mosquito catchers. So uh, you'd be hearing the zapping of mosquitoes because the mosquitoes were really tough, um, tough on uh, us down at uh, Drummond Park once it got dark. Um, no scoreboard back then. We had the classic flipper score. Um, I think we actually have the original still. And, uh, We'll be talking about the, the guy who's been flipping the score for us um, to this day in a lot of ways, uh, Kyle Pepe LePew Pibus. Um, and then we had sponsorships. We actually had um, Converse, um, actually was one of our sponsors. Um, to uh, They provided sneakers uh, for some of the kids during the summer as test sneakers, but so they had their banner on the... Uh, on the on the fence too so it was it was a pretty cool atmosphere on that um who were the crowds and uh i know it's hard to believe right now because the crowds aren't like what they used to be and i think a lot of it had um it had to do was there was just not as many opportunities for kids uh, at night and uh summer league basketball down at the old center was kind of the place to be so you would see uh, a tremendous amount of different age groups um, you'd see some of the old times uh, Mike Calora and uh, different people would be leaning up against the fence uh, you'd have all the junkies guys that uh, and and women too that just love to watch basketball or were walking around and they would stop and then uh, you know obviously every every north end of a high school girl was at these uh, at these basketball games uh, some of their boyfriends were playing and it was just kind of the the social place to be um, and uh, each night drew, drew huge crowds um, and huge disappointment if uh, if it actually got rained out so uh, none of these teams had coaches they were all coached by themselves um, which, um, you know, it was, it was trying at times. Uh, myself and John McVeigh, who were the major refs uh, during those periods of time, uh, would have to calm down the teams or whatever. But, um, you know, 
pretty much it was a, a regular basketball game and, you know, heated arguments at times. But, uh, you know, obviously uh, I think it was actually pretty well in that aspect. Um, the amazing thing is, and we, we mentioned Teddy Ball game, uh, Teddy Sharenda. It's amazing to this day that I hired Teddy as like a, uh, like a freshman in high school, and he was reffing these basketball games for high school kids and college kids that were four to five years older than him. And uh, I tell you, I give him credit. He, uh, it was a tough job for him to do, but he, he always uh, stood up to the task and uh, you know, all people blamed him if they lost sometimes or whatever, but uh, it was a great experience. I, when I think back about like how young he was actually refereeing some of these old, uh, older kids w was amazing. So, um, and it was pretty much uh, after John left and, you know, Teddy was there. So I was the constant uh, person running it. And, you know, obviously I don't think people gave me as hard a time as they gave Teddy, but I had to back Teddy up many a time. Uh, the names were incredible. Um, you know, everybody got to... Uh, make their own name up. They ended up making their own shirts, and uh, some of the classic names were the Wild Boomers, Night Train, Concrete Riptide, No Respect, Stupid Mop, Shakedown, Death Row, the franchise, and then the uh, the very um, basic Celtics who actually won a championship here. So half of the excitement with a lot of the high school kids was not only getting their friends to play. Um, but to actually uh, come up with a creative name. Um, I'll never forget the Kittredge Crew, uh, which was a lot of kids that liked to hang out at the Kittredge uh, basketball court. Um, the scorekeeper was, as I mentioned earlier, the legend, Kyle Pepe Lepew Pivas. Uh, we hired Kyle probably in the middle school as his first job, um, flipping the score. Um, he probably saw as many games as I saw down there over all those years uh, he sat in a chair and I can remember to this day uh, you know this white little flipper score with blue letters and and, and uh, blue numbers and red numbers and he would flip it over and occasionally he'd forget a hoop and boy they would get all over Kyle but uh, he loved it Kyle ended up playing in the league as as he continued to be the scorekeeper an amazing thing is Kyle who's in his 30s now um, continues to be a legendary scorekeeper for us as he every fall does the our clock in our scorebook at the any fall ball so uh, another just a legend was Kyle Pepe Le Pew Pivas. Um, they were incredible uh, characters, um, you know, just the best thing about this, it wasn't just the best basketball players. As a matter of fact, in the early years, uh, we didn't let varsity players play in it. They could, they could be involved in coaching. Uh, they could be involved with supporting. Uh, but they actually had the opportunity to play in that adult league. So if you were a member of Mike McVeigh's North End of Varsity, you played in that men's league. Um, but they all wanted to play in the high school league, and they found a way to get involved with that. So it was a mixture of uh, kids who really could play basketball. It was kids who just loved the game of basketball. Um, and it was just an eclectic group of uh, kids who just uh, had a common bond that they loved the game. Um, so many characters through the years. 
Um, you know, Mark Tromley, Mark Perry, Stephen Daly, and Blake Zawingi, who's a fireman in town here now, would never even be compared to an actual basketball player. But they found their their way to be involved with the team. Uh, sometimes it was the enforcer, or as Mark Perry says, all of those guys were nothing but hacks. But um, cr- tremendous amount of people found a role to be on the team. Uh, and then there were the, just the eccentric characters. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it right now. Best character we ever had at Summer League was a man by the name of Lee Is Barron. Lee uh, Barron had moved to our town when he was in late middle school. Um, he was a, a bit of a, a tough guy, or at least he thought he was a tough guy, and uh, he loved the game. Um, but I think he made people nervous. He had tons of tattoos, and the biggest one was uh, the tattoo of the word ears across his basic stomach. And, uh, you know, he to this day, I'm going to tell you a great story about Lee Ears Barron a little bit later, but um, he's definitely going to win the the character of the year. Um Every year, uh, the, the finals uh, would, would draw a huge crowd. Um, everyone wanted to be there. It was intense to make the playoffs, and, uh, you know, the whole bragging rights was you could go back to school um, or go off to college and, and say you had the best team in North Andover. Um, and then there was an um, incredibly tough year for us. Um, 1996 was the year, um, and it was a year that... For the summer, it was a, a brutally tough emotional time for us. Um, I mentioned it in our podcast last week uh, with the YC mailbag, um, and it was the summer that we lost Kyle Wentworth. Kyle Wentworth uh, was killed by a train in the middle of late late July in the, uh, the summer of 96, and he, um, you know, obviously it was a, a tough loss for everybody in the community. And Kyle was actually a, a major player in this league. He was a member of a team called the Wild Boomers. And uh, Kyle and the Wild Boomers were, um, they were probably a group of kids that uh, stretched the boundaries a little bit. Um, they were at times uh, involved with some risky behavior, but at the end of the day, they were all really good kids who, who loved basketball. And when Kyle passed away, it, it, it devastated the league. Um, it was, um, we had to actually suspend the game for a couple of days. Um, we had some memorial ser- services for Kyle um, through the help of the MBTA and North End of Police Department. We had a mor- memorial service at the actual site uh, where Kyle had died. And through the help of St. Michael's Church, we had some grieving um, nights that at St. Michael's we had a bit of a memorial service down there um, because Kyle was an extremely well-liked kid in town. Um, He was a kid that it reverberated a lot with the kids and then it was time to bring the game back Um, and we were in the finals at that point and it was uh, between the Wild Boomers and a team called Night Train. At that point in time um, we had gotten to the point where varsity players were allowed to play in the league and the night train had a um, their nucleus of players were were varsity basketball players at the high school, and it um, it was a an intense final. Um, but the night that we decided to resume the league, um, uh, Lee Barron had come to me and said, you know, we'd like to have a service here, and I've talked to night train, and um, you know, I was a little leery of how this was all going to go, um, so. Uh, you know, we set it up, talked to both teams. Uh, I basically told them I wanted it done appropriately. 
Um, and everyone in town knew the car that Lee Barron drove. It was this white car, which, um, you know, made a lot of noise and, uh, it was just a very recognizable vehicle. And, um, you know, after Kyle died, he had his memorial with the car and, uh, he, uh, he drove the car up to the basketball court and we actually parked the car in the middle of the court. Um, and then everybody that was there, um, both teams as well as all the fans, uh, surrounded the court um, and uh, held hands. Um, very emotional. And uh, the theme song that the Wild Boomers had been living through that summer um, was a song by Bones, Thugs, and Harmony called Crossroads. Um, and in, in Ears' car, um, he actually uh, was blaring the song, and everybody kind of, um, you know, took the whole moment in, and it was a tribute to Kyle that was really special. Um, both teams handled it very well, um, and then we proceeded with uh, the game, um, and at the end of the day, um, Night Train ended up winning the series, but in the last game, it was an incredible amount of people there. Um, I think we had, uh, I think someone told me we had, you know, close to 270 people. Um, they actually counted them that night that actually came to watch this final game. And it, it was um, physical. It was an understatement. Um, I know us referees had to work really hard that night. And uh, at the end of the day, um, the night train did beat them. They were the better team. They had the better basketball players. But... The heart that the Wild Boomers showed uh, throughout that summer was amazing. Um, this was huge for them. They were very emotional in losing it. Um, but it was just a, and to this day, it was one of the, the greatest memories of our summer league and what happened. And I really believe it was summer league that actually got us through the summer of 1996, which, you know, was really tough, was really tough. Um, and, and I thank the, everybody that was involved, all the teams who were involved at that time. And uh, it'll go down as one of the, the biggest memories as far as the biggest crowds ever watching a basketball game under the lights at Drummond Park. Uh, there were so many uh, good teams in the summer leagues over the years, but there were really two dominating teams. Um, one was Concrete Riptide, which is the only team that ever won three titles. Um, they actually had a fair amount of their kids who um, went to St. John's Prep, uh, and their best player by far was Chris Dexter, um, who ended up playing basketball at Harvard. Um, they actually won it uh, three years in a row. Uh, and then we had one other team, uh, a team called Shakedown, uh, who was a two-time winner. Everybody else had won it only once. Uh, Shakedown had um, a good group of players uh, from the Drummond Park area. Um, their best player by far was John DeWallaby, who went on to play at Bridgewater State. Um, but they had, you know, Chris Pibus, Matt Rock, uh, a number of guys there that were just really good athletes, football players, baseball players, uh, and basketball players, and and they were uh, they were really good. They were really good. It was um, it was fun to watch that team over the years and some of their ma major matchups that they had. So in basketball these days, um, you know, the biggest rage because you saw it in the NBA All Star Game was the Elam ending, um, which I think has added a new twist of excitement. Um, and I will go on record saying that we had the Elam ending long before uh, the Elam ending um, and came involved with uh, the tournament and then obviously with the NBA All-Star game. Our Elam ending was at the high school level, 
you played till 30. Um, at 15 was halftime. So after we got to 15, you would have the halftime. Uh, but you could not claim the win unless you were the first team to get to 30, um, and which resulted in um, it was going to be very physical down the stretch. Uh, they, people were not going to let you um, actually get an easy hoop to get to 30. Um, it was probably one of the most, probably the toughest thing when we were refereeing, but it was probably the most exciting thing. So we had to, uh, we implemented a rule right away because we knew it would get physical, um, is that um, when you got to uh, 2028, actually, um, if you fouled a team three straight times while they had possession of the ball, they actually got a foul shot. So if it was 29-28 and you fouled them three straight times, um, they would go the foul line, and if they hit it, um, they would actually win the game, which is a tough way to lose the game. Um, but you would be surprised at how many times we got to that, and they missed the free throw, and then that whole three foul would start all over again. But it was uh, it was pretty incredible. Um, you know, sometimes there was some blowouts, so a game could be 30 to 20 or something, but there were so many games that were right down to the wire, and it was literally a, a bloodbath that I think everybody uh, enjoyed being part of on that. Um, I've been asked many times what were some of the best games that uh, we had down there, and uh, by, by far it's not even close. The number one game was what I just talked about, the Wild Boomers versus Night Train, with all of the reasons that it was an important game. Um, but when you talk about, you know, 270 people in, in the Drummond Park, uh, I remember um, a Wild Boomer who was a bit physical uh, pushed um, Joey Meckle right outside the court. And unfortunately, when he pushed him, he landed into a bunch of Wild Boomers boom fans um, who just kind of pushed him back on the court. It was Kind of a little like WWE, I guess, back then. But it was such an intense game. And then ultimately, as I said, Night Train won. And uh, the, the actual professionalism and the camaraderie with both teams at the end of that game, I'll, I'll never forget. Um, Night Train knew how much this meant to the Boomers. Um, they obviously had a lot of respect for Kyle and uh, just a special, special game. But there were some other really good games. Um, Death Row versus Shakedown. Um, Death Row actually is the one that uh, beat Shakedown. They actually won it, lost it the next year, and won it the third year. So this death row was the reason why Shakedown possibly didn't win three uh, titles. Uh, and then there was the amazing uh, franchise for a Shakedown almost every time they played. Um, Marquise Victor, who went on to a stellar career at Salem State and the executive director of Elevated Thought and Lawrence now, uh, he was the big-time player, and he, um, he, he was the, the focal point for anyone to shut him down. And, you know, franchise had a little bit of wild boomer in them. Uh, they actually stood up for themselves. It was a little loud at times. Uh, both teams got very defensive, whatever. But those, um, those were some of the best games that we saw down there. Um, I have been asked by many people uh, who were the best players um, that ever played down there. And there were so many good players. Um, Brian Schaffenbill, who played at UMass Lowell. Um, Lee Barron, who I talked to a little better. Aaron Allen, who was a captain at the high school. Kevin Boutlier, who was at a thousand point scorer and a thousand rebounder at Plymouth State. Uh, Sean McManus, who's going to eventually be Sean, Dr. Sean McManus, uh, could have went to any Division three school, um, chose to go to Villanova and play on their club team. 
you know, tremendous, tremendous players, Steve Boudreaux, Paul Tangless. Um, but I'll tell you, there was there were six players that were better than anybody else. And uh, um, I welcome anyone to uh, challenge me on this. So after you see the podcast, shoot me a text, uh, shoot me an email, call me up and we can debate this. Um, but here is the uh, Rick Gorman all-time first team. Uh, first one is, uh, we've mentioned a couple times, he was one of our employees here uh, in one of the Dobos over his years. But Chris Dexter, um, only guy to lead a team to three titles. Um, and went on to, uh, and he was actually kind of the coach one year because he was playing in the adult league also. But um, he went on to play at Harvard. Um, the next one we mentioned, uh, Marquise Victor who carried the franchise. The franchise uh, had some good basketball players, but you know Marquise was the elite player on that, and um, every year he played, he was pretty much the leading scorer that we had there. Uh, John DeWallaby, as I mentioned, uh, during his three-year reign uh, with Shakedown, uh, there was no one better than him. Tremendous captain at the high school, just the way he played. Still the only guy that would dive for loose balls on the concrete outside. Um, kids today would never even try that, but John DeWallaby did it on a regular basis. And then there was the two people that dueled year in and year out. Uh, the first one was Mark Calora. Mark Calora was a six foot three, six foot four, scrawny, um, could shoot the heck out of it. Um, went on to play at Assumption. He played at St. John's Prep. Um, and he used to have these duels with the playground legend, Michael Chenard. And Michael Chenard never played high school basketball um, and never played college basketball. Michael Chenard was that throwback playground kid that was just just a, a legend. Um, he could score on anybody. Um, his nephews uh, come to the youth center now, uh, Carino Holt and... Caden Holt, and uh, every time I see Carino, he actually reminds me of Michael a lot. They actually look alike, but uh, Michael was this kid that uh, he did not play on the best team, but he literally uh, got his team to the semifinals or finals every year, and him and Kalora would have these duels that were just unbelievable. Um, Mike Shadad was the biggest trash talker we had. Um, he'd be the type of guy that would bury a shot from half court and and tell the person uh, that they couldn't cover him, and uh, he, would, he wouldn't even say it that nice, but um, he'd be all over that, and then, you know, Kalora would just go head-to-head -head with him. So uh, I'll fight anybody on this. Dexter, Kalora, Victor, DeWalby, and Shanad, the best five first-team All-Stars. Um, this was the summer league team as far as I'm concerned. Um, the sixth man, we got to give a little plug to Brendan Salak, the Robert Ory of the Summer League. Uh, Brendan Salak, um, uh, as he got to the college, um, at the college division, um, he, um, he actually has, I think he, we're going to give him the sixth man award. He's, he actually has won three titles uh, with three different teams. Um, and uh, he never was shy about telling everybody that also. So when you see him around town, Brendan is now coaching Little League and in basketball. Uh, but Brendan Salak was a guy that uh, he kind of could get stuff done. He didn't, he didn't necessarily look like the most felt basketball player, but uh, he was pretty good. So we're going to give him the sixth man on that. Um, as the... As the summer league grew and as it got popular, um, it took kind of a change when the youth center got built. Um, so the youth center got built in 2000, and uh, 
it was still extremely popular. Um, but the games were a little different. They were inside the gym, which at that point in time, uh, most people, you know, really wanted to play in the gym as opposed to outside. Uh, so the crowds weren't like they used to be because that draw was being outside in the, in the lights on a hot summer night. Um, and, uh, you know, we saw that kind of drifted a little bit. And then as we got into the t early 2000s, um, towards 2010, uh, we saw kids just have tremendous other opportunities, whether it be AAU or summer leagues or the popularity, obviously, with our high school team playing in various summer leagues, Hoops for Hope or whatever. Um, it did take a drawback, um, and uh, it just wasn't the same as it was on the outside court. Um, and in 2010, uh, that was the last year we actually had the summer league. Um, we did bring it back um, around 2015 uh, for a summer. It kind of lacked uh, the excitement that it was before. And again, I, I attribute it to more being that just kids had so many other opportunities, uh, work or whatever. And it was obviously very different than... Um, than uh, what it was in those early years when there really wasn't as many opportunities. So I got, um, I got some emails. I got some good ones. Um, this is from Mark Sharenda. Mark Sharenda uh, played in the Summer League. I don't know if he was part of the Kittredge crew, but um, he's got um, some different memories on this. And uh, he, he considers the best player in the 2000-2003 era was definitely John DeWallaby. He's obviously on my uh, on my top list there. Um, his favorite team, obviously, was Shakedown, and he, he mentions Rock, Limbaugh, Pibus, and Duba, um, and how they went full court press all the time. Um, he also um, give a lot of credit to his guy Pibus. He thought Pibus, uh, Kyle Pibus, not uh, I'm sorry, Chris Pibus, not Kyle Pibus, was just really tough to to really stop and. Uh, he mentions a lot about uh, all the good guys that he covered in the league. And he says the best, toughest cover him was Brendan Daly. That's a name for the path. Just that he was so quick and where wherever he wanted to go, he, he just got to go there. And he, he never got as much credit as he's deserved, according to Mark Sharenda. Um, Kyle Pepe Lepew Pivas. I knew he'd chime in on this. Um, I'm going to read what uh, Kyle Pivas said because uh, I think this epitomized how popular um, this league was and how much this meant to him. So bear with me a little bit. He says, hey, boss, you requested summer league memories. I'm going to give you those. No one has had the summer league history like I have had. I have seen the best players in North End of a play in the summer league. And with the quality of basketball that was put on, it was always a joy to watch. It all started when I was flipping the scoreboard for games that featured people like John McVeigh and Schaff. It gave me an avenue to enjoy something to get out of my house. I kept coming back because of how well it was run and the players treating me like a little brother. When I started playing, I certainly wasn't the most skilled by any means, but it was an enjoyable putting on the reversible and lacing up kicks and getting a slush or two after the general store. Playing with Shakedown was an absolute delight because not only was my brother my teammate, but it was all the older kids who I had looked up to and had great relationships with. I've done the very scoreboard, the drum and basketball courts, Reynolds, the Rick Gorman gym, outside YC court, and enjoyed every single game. I have been a multi-time champ. Three out of my four five years, three of my four high school years, I was a champ. 
Yes, I hardly played or made a difference, but it was who I was with that made those titles mean something. If there was a summer league roundtable, he definitely wants in on this, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I think that tells you a little bit of what it meant to someone like Kyle Pibus, and I've gotten so many texts about uh, how that, but nobody has has given me um, as much information or as much memories uh, as John McVeigh. So he talked about a little bit about. Um, how important it was to be a ref down there and be part of that whole thing. And he wanted to talk a little bit about, um, about some of the characters. And he, he mentioned ears. He said he led the league in tattoos, swearing, trash-talking, and scoring. Jamal Crawford type, super thin, great handle, scored at will, not always the most engaged defender. That's an understatement. I got along with him really well, but he was not a huge, huge fan of some of the players from other teams. He averaged more than one verbal confrontation a game. His truck came to define his team. All of them who would pile in together, blast music, and roll into drumming right before a game. And never more than after Kyle passed away. God, that is such a, a great um, remembrance of ears. And then there was dinner. Greg D. DeFrucia, my favorite player to ref in the league. Never had a bad word to say about anyone. He got along with everyone, even the teams that we're playing against. He was a guy who could calm down any fight by saying something that made everyone laugh. He cared a ton about his team and winning, but never took himself too seriously. He loved to yell out, there is no backcourt call in this league. That's true, we had that rule. Every time the ball got near midcourt and often would intentionally dribble back and forth over the line to prove it. Um, T.J. McAlone uh, took advantage of the no varsity rule as he was a classic kid who was just not good enough to play varsity b-ball, but better than everyone else. To his credit, he loved Michael Gordon uh, Michael Jordan way before everyone else realized how super Jordan was and he would fight all comers with a Jordan is better than bird or magic that is pretty much universally agreed on now but he was a super hot take back then great kid but sometimes took things a little too seriously when it came to the league and could get very emotional with refs teammates and opponents he's still the only kid that ever wore a full Jordan uniform I remember that um, he talks about Nick Savarese, and Nick was giving me a hard time about this podcast not getting up fast enough, but Nick, um, who's the executive director of the Doug Flutie Foundation, I, he was described as honestly the same guy he is then as he was now. Uh, nicest guy in the court, got along with everyone, and quietly made his team much better. Um, he was a better athlete than people re, uh, realized because he was a great track runner. He was a critical role player and leader during the stupid mop championship run. Um, he obviously talked a lot about Kyle uh, Wentworth and how much that meant to him because um, he grew up, you know, hanging out with Kyle. Um, I love this comment from John. He says, the league was also a great equalizer for kids that didn't always get served well by local youth sports, high school sports, etc. Because there were no adults. There were no adult politics the way they can be in youth sports and even more in today's age. There was no one telling them how to play or what to wear or how to act. The league welcomed everyone, and there were so many times when a kid or a team of kids weren't thought of as athletes by their peers came onto the court and beat a team of guys who everyone viewed that way. <clears throat> it ended up generating a good amount of respect both ways and helped everyone get involved. Um, he talks regularly about how much he, he enjoyed being part of the early years on that. Um, so some really good stuff from, from a lot of the guys that um, have been involved with our program. 
Um, I know for myself, on a personal note, um, I loved being um, the coordinator of the program. I loved being the ref. Um, you know, one point in time, I think Teddy and I were keeping track of how many games we had actually refed, and um, obviously I don't ref any of the summer league games anymore. We have some of our high school staff members now that actually ref the games for the middle school kids, but back then it was kind of a two-man show. Uh, as the as the became even popular, Teddy and I would probably have to do three of the four games every night or, or four of the five games or whatever. So um, I also felt my own son grew up here. Um, you know, his favorite team was that bootlier Utley team of Death Row. I mean, he made me buy him a T-shirt that said Death Row on it, and uh, he liked to sit on the bench with all these guys. And as a 26-year-old kid now, he's got amazing memories of growing up at Drummond Park watching uh, these guys. Um, so the league continues to run. As I said, it's very different. I don't think it'll ever go back to where it was from 1991 to 2010. Um, the last MVP of the league was uh, Zach Corrales. Um, he was the last guy to lead his team to a title in 2010. Uh, Zach went on to play um, four years of basketball at WPI and had a great career there. Um, and I think uh, the memories keep getting better every year. Um, I did get a, um, I got a great, uh, I started off saying that I would get back to this, but I got a great voicemail. Um, from the famous Lee Barron uh, this past January. This past January, I celebrated my uh, 32nd year here in North Andover. And, and you gotta, you got to remember that Lee, Lee had a distinct way of talking, uh, um, and he left a voicemail, and he basically said, Lee Barron, you remember me as ears. Um, and he talked about that, um, what the summer league meant to him thir you know, all those years ago and how he was happy that I had kind of stuck around. But he talked about the summer of 1996, and he talked about uh, losing Kyle and uh, what the youth center and what that summer league did to keep his friends uh, and himself in a good place during the worst thing that had happened to them in their lives. And um, things come full circle. It's interesting. Lee Barron is actually partners with um, my uh, my boy George Niang's uncle. So they actually are partner in a out in um, Arizona and in a bar, and uh, it's just a small world that it really is that George's uncle and him are actually partners, and, and Lee has become very successful. And if you knew Ears, um, you knew he had the potential to do all that. He also had the potential to go the other direction, and, you know, in his voicemail, he kind of basically said that, you know, some of Lee helped shape who he is to now. So it's been an, an incredible uh, reminiscing in terms of what this league was to everybody. Um, I appreciate everybody's thoughts uh, and memories. Um, uh, we weren't able to encapsulate everything that I'd like to do, so we're going to do a part two of this when, um, when actually things um, get back to normal. And we're going to have that round table that Pepe Le Pew would like to have, um, and we'll, we'll let some of these guys share more of some of their personal memories, and we'll have some laughs with it. We're actually starting to compile some of the stuff right now. But that round table will include... Obviously, myself, um, we will include John McVeigh, the first director of basketball operations. Uh, we're going to include the longest tenured referee besides myself, Teddy Ballgame Sharenda. Um, and we're also going to include Pepe Le Pew. 
uh, who's obviously, as we talked about, the score has scored more games. Um, we're going to get a couple of guys from the later years. Uh, Steve Boudreau, who's got some great memories, and he himself obviously won an MVP in leading his team to a title. Uh, in the last final years, and we'll probably get somebody else um, involved that has a little bit of an experience, or maybe one of the gap years of, of what the league actually went about. So um, we're going to do that when we get back to normal. We'll have a little bit of a roundtable about the Summer League. Um, I am surprised with, I knew the Summer League was a really good thing, and I, I knew that for all the reasons we set it up, uh, like no parents and kids running it and ownership and teaching kids how to lead and organize, I knew those were all the really good things. And I do know that it was fun. Um, I do know I have wonderful memories myself. Um, I just didn't know it had the impact on a lot of these people that it did. Um, and it only started when we did the mailbag last week when I got all these questions. And uh, you know, if I ever see anybody on the street, uh, they'll ask me about how the league's going and, you know, what what's happening. Is it still the same way? And a lot of people want to know what happened, you know, why it ended in 2010. And I think in a lot of ways, there was just a, a it just did not have the same interest that it had. And some things, you know, are meant to end. Uh, some things have a lifespan. And I, I honestly believe that high school piece did have a lifespan. And for us, it lasted uh, 19 years. Um, it was a long time um, and some great memories. If you ever want to see uh, the championship banner in the youth center, which has been there every year, you will see every team that won it from 1991 through 2010, along with the MVP. And there's some pretty, pretty impressive guys um, that have won the MVP in that league there. Um, not to say we won't try a high school summer league again um, I'd be open to it if there's a real interest to do it um, in keeping with a lot of the same philosophies that w we set it up with um, but it is good to know that in a period of time um, that this was something that was really the rage uh, I compare the summer league a little bit to our teen co-dances um, you know when people talk about our teen co-dances today they're still very well attended we'll still have a couple hundred people that kids will be at a, at a dance. But what people don't understand is back in the 90s before we had the youth center, is we used to we used to draw 500 kids to the middle school um, cafeteria and because it was really the only thing to do on Friday night in North Andover. And uh, obviously kids have tons of options now. And uh, I think that's kind of what happened with the Summer League a little bit. Um, I know the memories will always be there. I, I remember... Um, Every year I'll remember something new that happened. I tried to keep a lot of statistics and keep a lot of stories from back in the day, so I tend to go back and look at that. But, uh, you know, if you ever see some of these people around town, uh, John McVeigh and Teddy Ball game, and, you know, obviously Paul Tanglis, among other people, Steve Boudreaux, um, you can all ask them because they all have their great stories of, of the Summer League and what it meant to them and what it meant to this town. And, uh I kind of miss it. Uh, I remember people used to tell me they, they used to love driving by the old center uh, on a night where there'd be just a couple hundred kids there. The lights would be going, bugs would be flying around, but everybody seemed like they had a really good time. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll cherish those memories and we'll, uh, we'll value all of those and uh, we'll continue to talk about those. But we'll do part two on this. Um, if anyone wants to add anything, you know, send me an email. Uh, we'll add you on to that. And then, again, once we get back to normal around here, 
we will have that round table and we'll have some more laughs with this. But I do want to say over those 19 years, I want to thank everybody that's ever worked for me um, at the Summer League. I want to say hello to all those people that played in the Summer League. Um, and I want to, you know, I just, I saw a girl a few weeks ago said, hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm hearing about there's going to be something about the Summer League. And she goes like, it was just the greatest time. We just kind of hung out. It was a place to go. And, you know, we watched a couple of games and then, then we went home. So I'm um, glad all those memories will be great. So we'll be in touch more on that. Um, I do want to let people know we're going to continue to do the podcast during this very difficult time. And we'll still be trying to do something every week. Um, keep sending me some ideas. Um, we, we're out, we are set up now to do some remote stuff with this. Um, and we'll be able to still have guests on. And we'll definitely do that. But you can get in touch with me um, through email. The youth center is closed right now. Uh, and it is not staffed as of right now. But we are available through email. Uh, and appointments only um, at, at this point. But hopefully we're going to see um, better days coming up on that. I want to thank everybody who's who's been helping us through this very difficult time. And we want everybody to stay safe um, and stay healthy. Um, and we're going to get through this because uh, as North Andover does, as well as everybody, uh, we're, we're built to, to fight through all these different things and be there for each other. And I've seen some amazing things in the last couple of weeks with our community, and we'll continue to do that. So uh, I want to thank everybody for helping out with this podcast. And as we finish every podcast, we always say too much passion is never enough passion.